the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. message today is new things. Don't you love new things? Most all of us like the smell of a new car. I think I've told you my last car buying experience. I told the salesman I wish they'd go back to making those old plain F100 and C10 pickups like they had in the late 70s and early 80s. No bells, no whistles. I told him I'd be the first in line. He said, son, you'd be the only one in line. Because people like new things. I just don't care for the bells and whistles in these new cars these days. But you know, people like new car smell. There's so much so that they sell the new car scent that you can put in your car or hang up on the mirror. We like new things. We like new cars. We like new homes or the new conveniences that are there that we can have. What about new clothes? We like having new outfits, some that are not worn and, and tattered and overly washed and dried. If you go to buy a new pair of boots and you walk in a, a boot store, you're overwhelmed with that smell of new leather. We like new things. When the new gadgets come out, iPhones or electronic gadgets, people come in droves to line up to buy that new item. We like new things, they're exciting. They get our adrenaline flowing. We love wearing them, we love driving them, we love living in them. But after a period of time, the shine wears off. And they're not new anymore. They're used. So what do we do? We look for another new thing. This morning we're going to finish our study on Revelation. And we're going to see some new things. New things that God's going to bring at the end of the age. And they'll be permanent. And they won't lose their appeal. Before we do that, I want to kind of go back and recap where we've come from. Over these past eight weeks, this is the ninth message in this series, but actually there's a tenth. When I went back and looked, I preached through Revelation, uh, one message on Revelation last July, 21. And as I kind of looked at it as a whole, that message and, and all of these others that we've gone through, the title of that first message, if I had to pick a, an overarching theme for the whole series... It would be the title of that first message, which was, Don't Be Afraid. Don't Be Afraid. And if you want to go back and listen to that sometime, the podcast is there. The Facebook page uh, for the church, is, it's all out there. So uh, it's there. And that was last July. The title of that one was, Don't Be Afraid. In that first message last year, we saw three things in heaven that should cause us not to fear, should, should help us not be afraid. We saw God the Father on the throne in heaven. And we saw those 24 thrones with 24 elders sitting on them representing you and me if we're believers in Christ. We'll be in heaven. 
We saw the Lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ. Who was slain for my sins and your sins. And He's in heaven. Those three things that are in heaven that we saw in chapters 4 and 5 last year give us a reason not to be afraid. And then we fast forward to this July. You remember we saw the Lamb of God taking that scroll from the Father's hand and beginning to open those seven seals. We saw those first four seals open. And those first four horsemen come riding out. A different kind of Pony Express. God's Pony Express, except they're not delivering the mail. They're delivering God's wrath upon the earth. Those first four judgments there. As we continued through the book, we saw Jesus breaking the rest of those seals on the scroll and finishing out those first seven seal judgments. We saw what was taking place at that time in heaven and on earth or what will be taking place at that time during that tribulation period. We heard the sound of silence in heaven for a half an hour. And then we heard the sound of God's fury as those trumpet judgments began to be sounded like alarms going off. And each successive one brought more and more wrath on the earth in chapters 8 and 9. In chapter 10, we were reminded of some of the mysteries of God. We talked some about mysteries this morning in Sunday school. But we were reminded of some absolute certainties in chapter 10. Chapter 11... John was told to go and measure the temple. Now that's significant because there's no temple there right now. There has not been a temple since 70 AD. But God tells him in chapter 11, go and measure the temple. So we know during the tribulation period there will be a temple and there will be worship going on there and the sacrifices going on there. And that was in the news even this week. I don't know whether any of you saw it or not. You remember when we had that message from chapter 11 some weeks back, we talked about the Temple Institute, that group of people that are over there in Israel, and their goal is to see that third temple be rebuilt on the Temple Mount there. And they've been working for these last 25 or 30 years making all the articles of gold and silver and bronze for use in the service of the Temple and making all the priestly garments and training those 500 young men to be priests I looked on their website this week and after I saw the news article, they've got those articles finished. They've got those priestly garments finished. I actually watched a part of the video with a lady who was charged with making the high priest garment. She wove those by hand and so they had a video there of her doing that. But in all that, there's one thing that's always been missing. A red heifer. And that was what was in the news this week. Over the last 25 or 30 years, they've had a red heifer come about that they have investigated to see if they could use this red heifer. Back in Numbers 19, when they got ready to purify those who would serve in the temple, they had to have the ashes of a red heifer mixed with water to purify them. And so we know that there had to be, the Jews say there have to be a red heifer, the ashes of a red heifer have to be present to purify the priests that are there training so that they can begin service in the temple. Over the last 25 or 30 years, there have been a couple of candidates and they've investigated them. And they, they can't be any blemish at all. There can't be any other color hair on the animal. Not one single hair other than red. So they've had heifers come up that they suppose might be the one. 
And after close inspection, they don't, they don't pass the test. But just this week, on the 15th of September, a group of five red Angus purebred, purebred red Angus heifers from Texas were flown to Tel Aviv, to Israel, to be candidates for the red heifer, for the purification that will take place so that they can begin the service in the temple. Five red heifers landed in Israel this week on the 15th to great celebration and many speeches. And listen to what the article said here. This news article that I read about this says, according to the rabbis and the leaders in the Orthodox community, these heifers could be used to reinstate many of the practices of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, even before the third temple is rebuilt. It's getting closer, folks. It's getting closer, and we need to be ready. Continuing on in chapter 11, we saw that final trumpet judgment, and we heard those words of exclamation out of heaven that were the words for Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus. And he shall reign forever and ever. That was in chapter 11 as well. In chapters 12 and 13, we saw the war of the ages between God's plan of redemption and Satan's plan of opposition. We saw the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan there. And things looked really bleak. But then we're reminded not to be afraid. And in chapter 14, we got to hit the pause button and John showed us some things that would encourage us. He showed us how God's gospel is still proclaimed right up to the end. How God's salvation is permanent. We saw the pain of His judgments. We saw the precision of His harvest. And as we looked last week, we saw that battle of Armageddon, that final battle. And that's where we left off in chapter 19. So this morning we're going to look in Revelation. We're going to see some things that are going to be new things after all these things take place. Jesus will make some things new. We're going to see those this morning. So let's pause for a moment and pray and we'll begin. Father, be with me this morning as I speak the truth, Lord, and help my words to be your words. We want you to have all the honor and glory and praise. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Three new things that Jesus will, can and will bring. We're going to look at them this morning. The first thing I want you to see is a new kind of peace. A new kind of peace. Look at chapter 20, the first three verses. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Peace, a new kind of peace. You know, peace is defined as tranquility, the absence of war, freedom from disturbance. Now, we've had wars and disturbances since the beginning of time. It's never been a time where there hasn't been war. We've had some times of relative peace in the past. Those are relative. There's always some kind of conflict, some kind of struggle going on, even if we have relative peace. There's that struggle going on within our own selves, in our own hearts. 
Because we're told that Satan is loose and he's roaming about to seek like a lion who he might devour. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul wrote about this, this battle, this wrestling back and forth. Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. As long as Satan has free reign on this earth, there won't be peace. But when Jesus returns after the battle of Armageddon, He returns to rule and to reign on this earth for this thousand years. It says there in those first three verses that Satan is going to be locked up in the abyss, the bottomless pit. Satan is going to be locked up, incarcerated. And Jesus is going to rule. Because Satan will be bound, there will be a new kind of peace never before seen to mankind. Jesus will reign for that thousand years. Can you imagine how peaceful it's going to be without the influence of Satan? We learned in chapter 19, the previous chapter, that the Antichrist and the false prophet were thrown into hell prior to this. Now Satan's locked up in this bottomless abyss, this pit, for a thousand years. And there'll be a new kind of peace. Now there's some that say this thousand year reign of Jesus is, is not so. It's literal. It's not literal. It's, it's figurative. But I believe it's literal. In that chapter 20 there, he mentions the thousand years six times in that one little chapter. And I believe when God's word says something over and over and over again, he means what he says. There'll be that new kind of peace never before seen. Jesus is going to return. All his enemies are going to gather together against him to make war and he's going to smite them down in that battle of Armageddon. All those who are opposed to him will be killed. You remember they talked about the river of blood, bridal high and 200 miles long. The only people that will be alive at that time will be those who have come to Christ during the tribulation but have not yet been martyred. They'll be there in their natural bodies to, to be there in that millennium reign. And the tribulation saints, it says there, will return. They'll come back to life. They'll enter that millennium to reign with Christ there. Look at verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the Word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Satan is chained in that bottomless pit. Christ is ruling and reigning on the earth for a thousand years. The tribulation saints will be resurrected and come back and rule and reign with Jesus on the earth. But there will be some people who were believers who had not yet been martyred who will still be here in those natural bodies. And they'll make it through that tribulation. And they'll go on to have children and grandchildren during that thousand year reign. Children born during that millennium kingdom will have to come to faith in Christ just like you and me. They'll have a choice to make. And obviously many of those offspring won't choose Christ because we see at the end of that thousand year reign that Satan will be loose for a brief time and lead a rebellion, it says. Look at verses 7 
through 10. When the thousand years are over, this is chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Pay special attention to this next phrase. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. A lot of rebelling people there after that thousand year reign. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They would be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And then we see that great, after these take, things take place, we see that great white throne judgment there. In the latter part of chapter 20. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according what they, to, what, to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and the death and Hades gave up the, the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Look at that last verse there. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Is your name in the book of life? If not, God's word tells you right there what you're in for. He can give you a new kind of peace. He will have a new kind of peace there when Satan is taken out of the way. The second thing I want us to see after all this takes place, there's a new kind of peace. The next thing I want you to see, there's a new kind of place. Look at chapter 21, first seven verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God. And he will be my son. After this great white throne judgment and all the unbelievers of all time are thrown into the lake of fire, then there will be this new kind of place, this new heaven and new earth. And it sounds like the kind of place I'd like to be. What about you? Listen to Isaiah's description of it. And the prophet Isaiah wrote about this in chapter 65 and verse 25. Isaiah 65 and verse 25. Isaiah writes these words. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. 
and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. The earth on which we live is destined for fire and destruction. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 writes about it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. But God will take what's left after that carnage. And make all things new. A new heaven and a new earth he says. And things will be so wonderful. The wolf and the lamb will lay down together. Will feed together. The lion will be eating grass. And not be running around trying to catch prey. Not only will there be a new heaven and a new earth, but look at this other new kind of place, this new holy city that Connie and, and Dorothy sang about. This new holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. In verse 2 there of chapter 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. When we go to a wedding and the doors fling open and the bride is first seen, Takes everybody's breath away. That's the way I envision this being described here by John. This new city, this new place, new kind of place coming down. Look at, skip down to verse 10 there of chapter 21. He continues to describe it. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear, clear as crystal. He goes on and talks about the height of the wall and the gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel written on them. And the foundations that had the 12 names of the 12 apostles on them. And he talks about the measurements of the city on in chapter 21 there. 12,000 stadia in length, a cube. That's 1,500 square miles, cubic miles, length and width and height. Said the city was of pure gold and pure glass, as pure as glass, and the foundations were decorated with every kind of precious stone. And he goes on to list the 12 stones there. The 12 gates there in verse 21 were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The street was pure gold, it says, like transparent glass. There's no temple, he says there in verse 22, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And there's no sun or moon to shine because the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. He goes on to say there, nothing impure, verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a description. What a city. What a new kind of place. And I want to be there, don't you? We've seen a new kind of peace that will be ushered in where the wolf and the lamb lay down together. The lion will no longer seek his prey. Satan will be thrown into hell. No longer able to influence the world. We've seen the new kind of place there. The new heaven and new earth. The new city Jerusalem. There's a third thing I think we can know that, know that Jesus can make. Jesus can bring about. That's a new kind of person. A new kind of person. Maybe somebody this morning for the first time in your life. 
realizes how broken you are and how lost you are, how depraved your heart is. And you realize if the rapture were to happen today, you wouldn't make the cut because your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life. God is willing not to let anybody perish. He beckons us. He calls us to come to Him. His grace is persistent as we learned some weeks ago. He's pursuing us and wooing us, calling us to Him to be a new kind of person. He's giving us a chance. Back in Revelation 3 and verse 20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And He beckons us to answer. He says, if you'll answer, He'll come in and meet with you and you with Him. He wants to make you a new kind of person. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Paul wrote these words, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Later on, he says, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You come to Jesus this morning while there's still time. You come to Him while there's still time. And when you come to Him, there'll be one more new thing. A new name written down in glory. And it'll be yours. We're going to sing about that here in just a minute. There's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Oh yes, it's mine. The Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. Will you answer Him this morning? And I'm going to close this series out by Jesus' own words from Revelation 22. Starting in verse 13. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And he goes on to say, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you make a way for us through your son Jesus, Lord. We're grateful that you give us this revelation of Jesus, this revealing of Jesus and who he is. Father, we're grateful for these words. We're grateful for these truths. Lord, if there be someone here who needs you this morning, we pray that you will cause them to respond. They'd be willing to come to you by faith so that we can be a new kind of person with a new kind of peace and a new kind of place in the end. It's in Jesus' name we ask you. Amen.